Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Numbers 22, verse 2 through 25, verse 9. There's a lot of stuff here. Obviously, we, this covers uh, Balak, and it covers the details about Balaam, the talking donkey, and all the good fun stuff, the great things that kids' stories are made from, because who doesn't like the talking donkey? We all do. Um, that's the fun part, right? Israel, or in Hebrew at least, whenever someone says something stupid, or if a stupid person says something they quote the verse that says, and the donkey opened its mouth and spoke. Or God opened, or God opened the mouth of the donkey and it, it spoke. Because <laughs> the animal spoke. Uh, uh, Pamela, your hand is up. Unmute yourself, dear, so we can hear you. Are we going through the Haftor also, Micah? Yeah, my, my intention is, so uh, the Haftor portion, that we, I'm hoping to get there, if we get there fast enough. Since I don't have a clock on me that works, I can stay here all day long. Um, no, it's Micah. The Torah portion is Micah chapter 5. We might get there. It's verse, uh, well, in English, it's verse 7 through 6, verse 8. But if you read the entire book, Micah's centered around the, 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 the screwed up leadership and how it's messed up and everybody else has to suffer from leaders being screwiness. Oh, thank you, dear. She brought me, me a, 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 a clock. Um, so that will help. So I hope we get to Micah today. I'm not positive if I get to it or not, but I'm hoping to. Do you have a s- specific question about Micah? No, I just wanted to hear it. We'll see you later. Oh, okay. Hopefully we'll get to it. Thank you for finding a marker. I appreciate that. For those of you who worked at that, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, Kat, your hand, was your hand up? You had a comment? Yeah, I'm just reading Romans 11, the resource on Breed uh, Hadashah. Uh, Romans 11, 25 through 32, I really like. Um, the reference there regarding the mystery of Israel's salvation, because there's a lot of talk about always rebelling against the Lord. Yes, there's a lot of rebelling against the Lord. Do you, you want to read the passage? You know, commenting about end of days, end of oh, days. Oh, oh, the time. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, the, the, both in the Haftor region portion, which talks about a little bit, well, it's only in a days per se, but it sort of in some ways is a, like a miniaturized version of it in Micah. The day topic. So, uh, Balak, obviously Balaam, sorry, not Balak. Balaam does address, okay, at, at some point in time in the future, these events will occur. Now, you will note the list that Balaam gives are like, not like the in specific time. It's like, for example, these, this nation will go through this process at a different time. This issue goes through this process. So it's a sequence of events. He doesn't have the specific timing of when things will occur. At some point in time, these events will occur to these nations. And they do over thousands of years, or hundreds of years at least, a little over a thousand years, 1,500 thereabouts. These events do finally occur to all these, but it takes very long, long time, a long, drawn-out time period, um, which, which is a blessing and a curse a blessing that no one generation has to suffer through them all, but it's a curse because no one recognizes it. I mean, if, 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 if God says, I'm going to condemn, uh, I'm just, because we live here, U.S. of A, we're going to condemn the United States, we're going to judge them. Okay. The judgment spans a 400-year span. Do any of us notice it? 
No. We come and go because my lifetime doesn't go that far. It doesn't see the whole process. So I have to go through history books, find a, a whole sequence, and somebody go back, oh, well, the past 300 years, here's a sequence of events, and condense it down so my mind can grasp the infinitely large span of time of events occurring. And so it's difficult. We look at prophecies. Well, well, here's a prophecy about so-and-so, and here's a prophecy about so-and-so, and we, mentally, the human beings, shove them together in a single event or a single lifespan, not realizing they can be spanned generations apart from each other. And it's important to understand that God doesn't look in time cycles that we do. Uh, yes, Kat. Just another comment. Like, I don't like that whole what you're saying about we come and go like that. It's more like we need to pay attention kind of, <laughs> you know, to me. Well, for, I don't know. Yeah. So for because example, that's, a, that's like kind of like a, a, you know, not so joyous way of looking at life, right? If we just come and go, but that, right? but that, that may be that may be a perspective as far as how you look at it. But uh, even King Solomon points out, we're just grass. We come, we go, we die, we go. That's just he recognized. That's just how human beings are, uh, and that's just how how life is supposed to work. So uh, King Solomon pointed out, this, this is this is supposed to be that way, um, and, and it's okay to be that way. I, imagine for a moment, just in your putting your own heads, imagine that you your life spanned a thousand years. Well, even if that, but it's just about if your life spent a thousand years span and you remembered all of it. Can you imagine the stresses you have in your life now? Yeah, yeah, a, a, a human being, no, a single human being. A single person, let's pretend, let's say you were, you, were, you were Adam, you lived a thousand years, you saw your kids come to them murder each other, them go, their grandkids come, go murder each other, and you watched all of it. At least, yeah, at least five wars, right? You live the whole process. You live to watch all of this and all your kids, all your ancestors, your friends, they came, they died. They didn't live without you, but you did. You saw all the events. Where is your emotional mental state by toward the end? Talk about depressed. All those people you loved that you went through, lived a life, struggled with them. They passed away and died. The next came and they murdered each other, stole, drugged each other out, did horrible things to one another. Nations murdering for the fun of it because they better to do. The chemicals created, like, how quickly can this chemical murder people? Oh, look, let's spread it around and kill more. How many germs these can we create? Uh, all the things that you get to watch. If you had to live through all that and watch it all, it'd be extraordinarily depressing. Now, God does. He lives through it and watches it all every day. We couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle that. It would be too overwhelming to shove it all within a single lifespan. Yes. So the insertion would be end of days then. By the end of it. Right. To humans because it, that must be what. I, it ends to us. So yeah, it is yeah, to us. To us exactly. at the end of the day. So the, 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 let's pretend for a moment. Uh, you're living a span of life. So however long your life lives, uh, it doesn't matter. Or, or when it lives, hundreds of years ago, today makes a difference. When your life ends, it dies. You, 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 your mind doesn't keep learning, it doesn't keep studying, it's done, right? You fall asleep or, or whatever your personal beliefs are, that's it. My, my beliefs fall asleep. So you fall asleep. As far as you are concerned, the end of days occurred because your days ended. So it, all this stuff prophesied all happened. Even though you didn't necessarily have to see it, it just happened to you because you, you lived through it. This is the process you lived through. So the cycle of life is designed to 
the, all, the, all the stuff that prophesies, wow, all these terrible things that are supposed to happen, you may or may not see them, but by the time which you die, it won't matter to you anymore because you're dead. But when you're resurrected at some point, you will look back, like, look at all these things that God did. Now, if you ever get an opportunity to read two different history books for the same topic written by completely different authors and different sides of a particular issue, they cherry-pick viewpoints, and they will lead narrative-wise, they will, in narration, give you a viewpoint by the end of their book to advocate their particular viewpoint. They will cherry-pick the order of events, the topics they give you, and give you a particular picture. And the opposite guy will see the exact opposite picture or have the, the events in an inverted way to view their picture. If you read them both, both of them are giving you a specific viewpoint. So when you look at all of history, all of prophecy, you have a biblical viewpoint. But the drawback is there's a lot of other things that occur between these, these prophecies that you don't see or don't notice or, make, or, or hides the prophecy being written. Because you don't recognize because other things, oh, it's, it's much like, um, what's that film? That, com- uh, that uh, wag the dog film, right? Look over here, over on this side. Well, I'm doing those here quickly on the side. But keep the people's attention looking at this while you're doing over here. When things look big, the government does. They're very good liars. So um, they're very big. Look over here at the big thing and ignore the subtle workings that God, the prophecy is being fulfilled over here on the small stuff that you don't notice because this big thing distracted you. And that's how humans are very good at deceiving each other and ourselves the same way. And Balak and Balaam are very good at that as well. Real versus the USA, maybe. Right. So there's a scale and size. Yeah. One does huge events, and you see big stuff. And this moment, well, it's still to be small. You don't notice it unless something, unless it makes a big impact somewhere. Then you, oh, hey, look, the little thing finally, finally, finally did something. Like it yeah. makes it impressive. The news of Israel, I think, huge. Right. Right. But when I think of the United States, I think, well, that was dumb. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, it can be. It can be. It can be. So they come to question about this Torah portion so far, but I'm going to go into the details about uh, Balak and Balaam a little bit. We've got them in the past. We'll cover them a little bit more today, and I hope we get to Micah. I'm not positive on it, but we'll see. All right, so we're going to start out, first of all, um, part of Balak. So this was Numbers. This, 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 oh. Marker dead? Oh, it's, it's just mostly squished in there. Oh, we'll, we'll break to it. So I'll draw a little map here. Not that you can see the map worth beans because the marker is mostly dead. Israel, I killed the marker. And then I had to mark out. Can't see very well. I, my marker, this is the only marker I could find or they could find. So we just made do with what it is. The blue patch of marker bag is, is gone. So I marked these things off into territories. Um, they can see very well. If people on the computer can see it, no, they probably can't see it at all, huh? No, it's completely blank there. That's too bad. Um, I'll, I'll pretend I use my hands. You know. So uh, this section here where my hand is supposed to be, that would be Og's territory. Uh, this is Israel, by the way. So there's a, the Dead Sea is down here, little Sea of the Galilee, Canada, Canada's up there, Israel's ocean. So this body here is Og, the Amorite. Here is Sihon, this little strip here, which you can't see very well in the marker. A tape would work. I don't know, tape, but that's right. Um, and then uh, we have the different, so there's Ammon, Moab, Edom and Midian's down at the very bottom, but off my map. So, unfortunately, this marker isn't very useful. Um, let's see. I don't think mark, mark it's just, it's just too, it's just too, 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 too worn out. That's all right. I'll make do. So, uh, 
what's interesting about this, what I want to bring up why the, why the map was there, oh, and all the areas came at this time, is that Moab and Midian are not next to each other. Edom is in between them. But Moab and Midian are the ones that, that, that go together and say, oh, well, we'll, 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 we'll collaborate on this, this, this effort, this, this fighting, this, this uh, to get against Israel. They're the ones collaborating, and they bypassed Edom. Why is that? Because Moab and Edom don't get along. At this, at this point in history, they get along later, but at this point in history, they don't get along. So Moab and Edom, they, and Edom has no interest, zero interest in fighting Israel. None. There's no part of it. Now, Israel for 40 years has been wandering around Midian's territory for 40 years, hanging around there, going around and around and around and around and around, around in circles, around, what was that? Yeah, Midian's down here. Well, unfortunately, you can't see the map. So if, I'll find a map. So, so if you imagine the Red Sea, the Red Sea is where they cross the Red Sea, right? It has two big branches on it, There's, which, which surround the Sinai Peninsula. The one on the other, on the, on the Gulf of Aqaba side, which is the one that's closest to Saudi Arabia, that's where they cross. Midian is along that entire coastline. They own the entire coastline, that section. Uh, oh, hey, Jeff's going to try to get on the map as far as you. Yay, God bless Jeff. <laughs> he's, he's working on it. <clears throat> Global, you know, picture of how this place was to look. Wait, by the way, Daniel, what's Yeah, right next to California. No, yeah. <laughs> and it gets over there. Uh, yeah, there it is. He's getting there. Anyway, so, so they cross the Gulf of Aqaba. So they hang out for 40 years in the land of Midian. That's, we scrolled down the map, sir. Right down here toward Midian, the bottom end. Right, keep going down, down, a little further down. That's good enough. So in this map here, those of you can see in the picture, which you obviously can't see if, if you don't have a, a, a computer on, there's the Gulf of Aqaba, which is this little blue strip here. Oh, you should share that. Oh, perfect. Bless you. Well, the, the marker's dead. Oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, but I'm terrible at that. Um, so I'm not very good. At, I, I draw on computers for a living, but, I, but I'm terrible at the, the free hand drawing on computer. I do... You're controlled, yeah. Anyway, so on this map, they have the Gulf of Aqua, which is a little strip down here. Median is this whole, owns the entire strip line. Strip line. So the entire section of the Gulf of Aqua, which is really dumbfoundingly shocking why anyone would think the, the Sinai Mountain is in the Sinai Peninsula. That's ridiculous because it says Moses fled to Midian. And so he hangs out in Midian. It's obvious because Midian only owns this section. So Moses hanging out here for 40 years. They wander in there. But just north of Midian, when, if you look at this, this Jordan map here, where this line draws, this is massive line here, that's approximately where Midian's territory happened to have ended. It's not exact, but close to it. And then Edom's territory began. So Edom hangs out the southern section of Jordan, which is, has like the, the interstate of 5 and, and 35. This one's here. Here is Edom's territory. So Midian's down here. Edom's here. Remember when Moses asked Edom permission? Can we travel through your territory? Can we get to our edge here? He says, don't you dare. You come there, I'll kill you. He says, okay. And so he starts to go all the way around and asks Moab. Now Edom's here. Moab's just north of him. So he had to get from Midian to Moab and bypass Edom. The way he did that, they went up the, the border between Canaan and, and, Midian and Edom, just skirting the edges of both territories until he reached Moab's territory. And he asked, hey, can we cut through 
because this, this mountain range we're traveling is rather difficult. If you got through a round on the highway instead, it's so much easier. And Moab said, you do, I'll kill you. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You do, I'll kill you. And so they had to, they had to skirt along the same mountainous range, all of this will try to get here to you until he reached the king of Sihon's territory. Now you don't have a choice because you're either going to go on a boat to the Dead Sea <laughs> or go along Sihon's territory, the Amorite territory, to get. You don't have a choice. You can't say, he can't say no because you don't have a choice to matter. So we have to go through your territory. Oh, thank you, Jeff. So they, they're traveling along this little tiny strip here, which is actually really close to modern-day Israel's uh, border, actually. In fact, that, 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 same, that same route they took to scoot up and skirt up away, uh, the way they went. Now, they did occasionally slip, slip into this territory here, this mountain territory here, which Kadesh Barnea is, which is where the 10 spies are sent out, just because they don't want to get to Canaan from the south direction. The idea was to go to Canaan through, through this bishop on your map, um, to go up through Canaan to get Canaan to invade here in the south direction. That was the route which the spies went to investigate. And God, they said, oh, it's too bad, too terrible, we can't get there, big giants, we were grasshoppers, they were big, we were scary, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, 10 spies were killed and the other two were survived. And he said, okay, 40 years of wandering. So hanging back out here, they had to turn around from Kadesh Barnea, go all the way back and hang around here in Midian for 40 years before God said, okay, enough people are dead. Now your kids are grown up. They're more intelligent about this. They have a better perspective in life. So now we'll try again. And so they have to go through the process all over again. Um, the first time going up, you will note Moses didn't ask permission. He didn't ask, can we go through Edom's territory? Why? Because Edom was afraid. They just went through the Red Sea a year and a half earlier. Pharaoh's army is wiped out. Amalek has invaded half of, half of Egypt. And Edom's like, uh, don't touch these people. These people are scary. Don't go near them. Whatever they want, back away. So 40 years earlier, this is an easy trek. Everybody just gets out of the way. Do what you want. <laughs> I'm not going to touch you guys. You got some power that's un uh, unbelievable. But now, 40 years later, half the people there that were alive at the time are all dead, both in Israel as well as the surrounding nations. So 40 years is a long time. So even the people who, who heard about them crossing the Red Sea, who heard about the, the, the plagues in Egypt, of the surrounding nations, even half of them are dead. Not all, but half of them are dead too. So now you actually have to ask permission to travel through, which before it was really easy. So they had to go through this process, but it's interesting that they had to skirt along this borderline up here as so going up almost like the Valley of the Dead Sea, so to speak, um, to reach the Dead Sea. But eventually they had to get to Sihon, which is what we covered last, last Torah portion. Jeff covered it when he went to ask Sihon, can I get through your territory? Now, like I mentioned before, there's no choice in the matter for Moses at this point. Either you go through Sihon's territory or you go across on a boat across the Dead Sea. Those are two options you got. You can try to go back down south again, and try to go on the other side and try to invade Canaan from the direction the spies went, but that route is not the route they were opting to go. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing because the spies were supposed to go that route originally, that now the Canaanite nations are prepared or ready for war. I'm guessing that, but just by guess. I don't know why they didn't try that route. Uh, we tried it route 40 years later, but they just didn't. So Sihon says no. He puts his army up and says, not only can you not come through, here's a massive army ready to kill you. And God said, not a problem. Just wipe them out. 
And so unlike Moab and Edom, God said, you're not going to get those territories. Those territories don't belong to you. That I gave them split for these, these nations, which are your relatives. You don't get to touch them. Sihon, kill them off. He goes up Sihon, kills them off. Now Og, who was a giant at the time, uh, 14 cubits? Yeah, 14 cubits, which is roughly about, uh, yeah. oh, crud. Or nine, I forgot about, he's really tall. <laughs> really tall. Okay, so Og comes along. Og is, is, is Sihon. They're both Am, uh, Amorites. Og was Sihon's uh, companion. Now, Og owned the territory up in this section up here, just north, uh, yeah, just north, this whole area appears where, where Og owned. And Sihon gets obliterated, cities destroyed and burned, people sacked, everything destroyed. And Og says, okay, I'm huge. He has a big iron bedstead, right? That's claimed to fame. I'm a huge man. I got to take the army on by himself, practically. You're like, Og's a giant, but you tack on an extra 10 feet. The guy's massive, right? He's a big giant. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you versus your kids. So you, easily, he himself could probably do it. Now, there's a lot of Jewish tradition about you know, how Og was killed. I'm not going to go through the details of how he was killed. But Og, what was that? Og is what? Og is a man. Oh, Og is a man. As a man. He, oh. he was a king of, 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 of the territory of the Amorites just north of Sihon. Sihon was also a man. So Og and Sihon, those two men who were both two kings. No, I get it. They're both Amorites. So Og comes, his massive army, and of course the Israelites wipe him out and they kill this massive giant. It's interesting though, they're doing this process. They took out Sihon, which is right about, right about here or so, the small section here. They took out Og. Moab is right further east of Sihon's territory. Uh, so that's kind of like the um, modern-day area of Jordan. Yeah, the, like the southern, the southern, uh, the southern ha- oh, the half. So the bottom half of Jordan is mostly Edom. The middle section would be Ammon and Moab. They're both brothers. They're both air, air territory. The northern side was Amorite took it. And the far western side, Amorite took. Uh, not quite that. Assyria's part, yes. So Og owned part of Syria. The king of Og owned part of Syria, modern day Syria as well. The southern half of Syria was also his territory. He owned them all. So what caught Moab's attention is that Sihon, who was an Amorite, took some of Ammon and Moab's territory many, many years earlier. They fought against Moab and Ammon. Moab were, were, had to retreat, and Sion took the territory. They were unable to defeat them. Now this ragtag group from Egypt, who have more people than, 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 than swords, come and destroy Sihon and Og, both who were too strong for Moab and Ammon combined together to defeat. This brings red flag scariness. Oh no. These people are, are, are mean, tough, and, 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 and obliteratingly powerful people, right? Avoid these people. So he wants to curse them. Makes logical sense. Now, Moab has zero, zero knowledge. The fact that God said to Moses, you don't get Moab's territory. He has no knowledge of that. Ammon has no knowledge of that. Edom has no knowledge of that. All they see is this big swarm of locust-like ants coming across the people, taking territory as they go. They have no idea where their limits are actually at. They don't know the fact the borders were already set and God told them what to do. Moses didn't disclose that. 
to anybody. It's just what he wrote in the Torah, and these guys are not Torah written, you know, right, reading people. They are pagan worshipers. They, they, they worship other gods. So he has no knowledge that they have no intention of moving further east and take Moab's territory. Because he doesn't know that, he says, I need help. I have to make, we set up a war. We're going to try to defend ourselves and conquer and destroy these people who are coming over like, like, like locusts. That's his mental state of being. Did he have anything to fear? No. He didn't know that. Nothing to fear, though. He had no idea, nothing to fear. This is this where he's at in his, in his viewpoint, his worldview. So in this territory, if we have this area, he calls ba- Balaam. Now, Balaam is, an, uh, is, is not an Amorite. He's from, uh, from, from uh, Aram. So he's an uh, Aramean. I mean, he is the same descendancy as Abraham, which is way further north, north, of Syria, north and east of Syria by quite a distance, all the way to the Euphrates River, to modern-day Iraq territory, which where, a- where Abraham was from. That, that, that's where... Uh, not that far north. No, not, not the far north of Georgia. That's too far north. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so in, in modern day Iraq territories where, where, where Balaam is from, which is where, who Abraham is from, which is where all the patriarchs are from, which, uh, which, in, which is interesting because that's also the descendancy of Moab and Ammon. They also, Lot, Lot and his wife, sorry, Lot and his daughters, were the, were the, were the ancestors of Moab and Ammon. They're also from the same territory, the territory of where Balaam comes from. Now, it is modern day, or modern day, the last 800 years, Jewish tradition, about 900 years, Jewish tradition that Balaam, who Balak had asked for help for, from, was a descendant of um, Laban. I will not say that's true, because that's stretching it. They just made up a, they just made up a story, said so. Um, the Zohar claims it is, but again, that was written in like 1100 or so, or thereabouts AD. So you know, thousands and thousands of years later. So, oh, thank you, Jeff. So, so and see where this little river strip is? And all that goes through Iraq comes out here. This is the river that we're referring to, Euphrates and Tigris rivers. So the river Euphrates all the way here in Iraq territory. Now, I don't know where along the river it doesn't specify exactly where, which river, it, uh, which, which section along the river that happens to be pointing it to. But that's the territory that Abraham's on. Because it says Abraham's from the, from the Chaldeans, which Chaldeans was, was owned or, or lived in this half, this greener section of Iraq. So it came from here up through the river, and then Abraham came down into Canaan. That's the, that's the traveling route. So that traveling route, the big hook that goes over from the, 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 the rivers all the way down into modern-day Israel. Yeah, the top, yeah, the crest, the top half of the crest. It's, like the crescent, it's called the, the, the fertile crescent. It's half of a, half of a curve because that's a big half-curve route. They made half of, a, half of a turn or half a circle. That's why they call it a crescent. Yeah, it is great. We'll see. Yeah, the, the, the big yellow desert, that's the, the, yeah, that the looks great. See, they went around the big yellow desert because there's no such fun going through a big yellow desert. Um, that's where he came from. So he came from, and, and clearly uh, Moab or the, the Balak believes that Balaam has some internal or private connection to God. And clearly by our story here, it says, yes, you can make that conclusion because Balaam and God are talking to each other. Now they weren't necessarily on, you know, good working terms. Uh, yes. Uh, uh, Jared, your hands up. Hold on. So I actually also noticed this today in the Hebrew that um, when the Moabites come to Bilaam at first, 
and he says, let me see what the Lord says. In the Hebrew, that's God's name. You'd hate yes. Yep. And then later, from that point on, all the interactions that um, Bilaam has El- with Elohim, God yeah. is God, yeah. Elohim, Elohim, which is the judge or you know, the yep. more terrifying aspect of God. Right. So he may have a relationship with God, but it's not Yudhe which is, you know, heavenly father, provider, merciful. He's for lack of a better his, his term, business was cursing and blessing. That's his business destruction. Cursing and blessing. So who are you going to go to? You're going to go to a judge, the big guy with the beard and thunderbolt. Oh, uh, and you had a comment. So um, in, my, in my analysis of this whole thing with Balaam and Balak, um, I find Psalm 1 be very helpful. Don't linger listening to sorcerers or, <laughs> or other people trying to woo you away from God. In Psalm Amen. 1 it says, do not sit in the council of the ungodly. Amen. And secondly is the sorcery that... Um, Balaam had shows that he's not really a believer. He's just um, materialistic, looking for money and bribery, I guess, and sacrificing even to the real God, um, uh, just uh, even trying to bribe God with the sacrifices. Something about that. Yep, 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 yep. Actually, we're going to talk about that next. I'm going, this, I got a little off track on some of this. We think that we talk about, about, specifically about that. So I'm going to fly through a little bit section here before I get to the next portion. So uh, let's go through a little bit. So uh, first of all, uh, okay, I'm going to recap this, and I'm going to I'm going to point a few things out to our recap some of this stuff. So Balak sends guys to Balaam, come help me. Balaam says, hold on, I got to talk to God. God says two things: one, you will not go with them, and you shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Balaam chose his words when he replied to Block's man and said specifically, I can't go with you. He didn't say, he didn't mention the fact he wasn't allowed to curse them. Now, had Balaam just flat out told them, I can't go with you because God's no, and I can't curse them because God said they're blessed. If he had disclosed those two details, Balak's efforts would have ended with Balaam. But Balaam didn't want them to end. He didn't want that information revealed to Balak that God specifically stated, you will not curse them. Because the only function Balak's men are coming is in order to get him to come and curse. That's the only purpose. And Balaam didn't want to disclose the information. He he gave him a half of the truth. What is half the truth? Equals a lie. So Balaam lied in the form of giving half the truth to the the people who are coming. And that he gave them, that's what he did. He did half truth. God gave him two answers you will not do this and you will not do that. And Ben said, okay, um, you won't do this. I can't do this. And withheld the primary information that would be most useful to Balak's men. The fact I can't come and curse them. Then we have to ask ourselves, okay, why'd you do that? Why didn't you disclose that? Yeah. There's something Balaam wanted. Something he had to have wanted to not disclose that. What is the reason someone tells half a truth? Because you want to deceive the person, not let them understand the whole thing. There is something Balaam wanted to deceive or to, to trick Balak's men to not get them the whole fiction. And he did. Then, when they came back the second time, offered them more money, more whatever they wanted. Now Balaam already knew God's answer. 
God gave the answer. You will not go and you will not curse. And what does Balaam tell them? Oh, stay here the night, the second time. I'll go, maybe God will give you more information. Knowing full well, God already gave him the information. He already has the answer. Now, what happens when you go to God and say, God, I really want this. And God says, no. He says, God, I really want this. God says, um, you were a grown adult. I told you no. You really want that. Go get it. See what happens. A child, they go to your parent. Their parent says, Mom, Dad, I, this is what I, my demands are this. <laughs> you know the house rules. You know what the consequences are. You sure you want that? Child says, yes, that's what I want. Okay. Enjoy the outcome. Right? So, it, it, and that, that, it obviously rears the children differently, but the point is that the idea that if you demand something hard enough, you strive for, strive for it hard enough, God may say, okay, okay, you can have it. Mm-hmm. By the way, the stuff you weren't paying attention to, the consequence that didn't come about in your head because you were thinking about it. Oops. I wasn't planning on that. Right. You weren't planning on that. Now, here's your consequence. Now, separate from that, that's what, that's what normal interaction would be. But Balaam's a unique interaction. God's not so dumb. He knows who Balaam is. He knows what Balaam wants. He knows that Balaam's job is to go and curse. His only function for going with them is in order to curse Israel. That's his only purpose in life. That's what he wants to do in this, in this whole story. So, but God knows you're not supposed to curse. So you're going here. I specifically stated you weren't supposed to go with them before and you will not curse them. But you're asking again. <clears throat> Clearly, you have something in mind. And God knows full well that Balaam only gave half the information to Balak's men, not the whole message. God's not so dumb. He knows Balaam withheld information. He knows Balaam has in his heart an intent behind withholding information to get something he wanted out of it. In this case, of course, was money. I'm sure fame and glory and everything else that was there too, it doesn't matter. The point is after a specific thing, whatever it happened to be, whatever his major, major drive was. So, the purpose of mission was obvious. God finally says, go. So it sounds, if just reading it straight up, sounds strange for God. Okay, go, but then don't go. Go, here's the angel to stop you. God, why are you being inconsistent? You said go, then go. Then let him go. What's so big about that? What's the big deal? God made a decision. Okay, you get to go now. Okay, then go. So why is, what, what's the point of the angel? Because God all along knows Balaam's intent is to curse. That's what he's getting paid for. If he's going to say, I'll go with you, Bloxman, I'm going to bless them while you're there, all the expense, the two men he's bringing with him, and all the efforts of getting there, that's a, that's a long trek. It's not like a, you know, be a, a, you know, a, a, a quick drive for the day. Driving from, from Fort Crescent all the way across and all the way down into the you know, Bill it's going to be a long trek to get there. So it'll take a long time. So the whole process of getting there, he's going to spend money, spend effort to get there, and he's going to get nothing in return. So the, Balaam knows full well in his own intellect, if I go there and being paid to curse and instead I bless, I won't get paid. Now, think about it for yourself. Let's pretend you were hired as an, as an employee. You as an employee, your boss says, okay, you are hired to drive your vehicle and carry this product from this location over to that place other side of the state. Yep. Here's, your, here's the money I'm going to pay you to do that. And you say, thank you so much. I took the product, put it in my car. And, say, and you, said, you, said, 
you will pay me when I deliver it and come back, right? Great. Now, I'll take the money. You, I'll take the, the product. You hold the money. I will drive the opposite direction. Drop it off the other side of it, stay at the opposite direction, and then come back. Is your boss say, great, here's your money? No. And you know full well you're not going to obey your boss. You do, you, you do the exact opposite what he tells you to do. Are you anticipating getting paid? Are you justified in getting paid? No, absolutely not. You broke the contract. You broke the agreement. You are, you, you, if anything, he, you should pay him. You should be fined for, for deceiving. So Balaam knows full well if he doesn't curse, he won't get paid. But he also, as God said, you will not curse. You will only bless. So Balaam's got to have to figure this out. Okay, I'm making this whole effort to try to go and get paid and I can't do what I'm being hired to do. So as all men do, we are very good rationalizers. We will rationalize anything. We can deceive ourselves and anything imaginable. So let's think about it for like 10 minutes. We'll, we'll prove ourselves right. We're very good at deceiving. So we're very good at lying to ourselves. We're the most efficient self-liars I think God ever created. We lie to ourselves more than anybody else. Commit ourselves with truth when they're in fact dead lies. Well, we believe it because we, th- we think it. Therefore, we must be true because we thought it. So we're very good at that. So along this route, my personal opinion, because Balaam is a human being, just like I am, he's probably figuring out, okay, how do I do this? How do I get out? How do I manipulate this? How do I make the blessing a curse at the same time? How do I get a, a partial? How do I get, can I get some money? I'm finagling my, because that's what human beings do. We're really, 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 really good at it. Right? No other creature is good at that. But we're really good at deceiving ourselves and finding a way around a problem. Making a way around. So in that instance, with that mental state of being, because Balaam's a man like, like I am, he's going, does God know what's inside Balaam's heart? Absolutely. Not only do, does he know, we know, because Balaam only gave half the information to Block's men. He was lying to him. So even we know what's in Balaam's heart because Balaam was lying. And he even said, he's lying to us by giving half the information, not the whole complete story, not the whole complete picture. Half the story to make you the people think something wasn't actually fully true. So we know Balaam's a liar. <clears throat> we know that he's intending to figure out some way of getting paid for this, pro- this process, some of, of swindling or convincing these people that, 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 that he'll get paid, they should pay him anyway in this whole process. And so, as the angel points out, you're going to oppose me. The angel reveals to the angel, you're going oppose, you're going against God because you're deceiving. You're trying to manipulate people to, 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 to manipulate the situation to gain out of it. You're purposely deceiving something. You're going against God. Hence the nature of what God's doing. As far as the, okay, go ahead and go, but now I'm going to oppose you because along the path, He's opposing him. Now, in this, we want to leave this section just yet because one thing I want to point out to, uh, uh, I pointed out twice this first time though. So uh, this this whole donkey thing, this event of the donkey happens three times, right? Three events, the donkey thing. We'll get the blessings of three times also, but the donkey thing three times. So three times donkey has to veer off the path in order to save Balaam's life, right? Now, anytime you're in the Torah, number three, in a life and death situation going on, it's a messianic reference somehow. You just figure out what it is. Somehow it's referring to Messiah because the whole three days, three nights and the whole dead to life thing 
So it goes through. So in this case, three times the donkey converts Balaam's life from death into life. Three times donkey saves him. Now the donkey we already know, a male donkey in particular, uh, doesn't have to be. It can be female too. I'll, I'll get the female part in a minute. Male donkey usually referred to as the burden carrier or more specifically the firstborn, firstborn of a family, firstborn of a tribe or of a nation or, or a household. The donkey, we run across that in the Torah when it says when a firstborn donkey, you break its neck because you can't redeem it. Uh, the first one of a human being is, they don't break the neck of <laughs> a human being, but you must redeem the human being. Uh, the donkey has to be redeemed as well. Unlike other animals, which are slaughtered, donkey is not slaughtered. You must, uh, sorry, are offered, sorry. Others are offered, clean ones. The donkey is not offered. You, you, you can't, if you don't redeem it, you have to kill it. You don't have a choice of breaking its neck. It, it's a burden bearer carrier. But separate from that, you also obviously have the reference of Messiah being carried that called the donkey. More specifically, is carried on a, on a female donkey going into Jerusalem. And it's important, it's a female donkey because it has a colt going with it. And obviously, males don't have colts, but females do. So uh, it's a female donkey, so it's a, it's a burden carrier. So Balaam's being carried by a female donkey. So Messiah's being carried by a female donkey, right? They're both traveling into a new territory to deal with, 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 with the issue they've been, they've been required or needed to go to, which is fine. And they both, obviously, Messiah is dead for three days and three nights. But more specifically, the donkey saves Balaam life three times, and it's beaten and struck three times for each time it saves it. Which, of course, Messiah was struck and, of course, beaten it too, uh, beaten as well. Uh, yes. Uh, Hi, I just like to uh, make a correlation there, where I feel like this is exactly what's going on in our House of Representatives with the current president right now. How it's so like coincidental to me, Daniel. Um, so, in, 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 I won't get into modern day politics, but uh, that's the, the Haftor portion of Micah covers a bit of that too, which I, I don't think we'll get to it today because I'm out of time. But yeah, that's right. But the, I do, I get your point. Uh, there are some issues in modern day issues, but that's, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a mess that way. It's supposed to be that way. So, we have the Messianic reference of Balaam being carried by the she donkey, which saves him three times, is beaten three times for it, up to the point where she threatens to kill it. I'm ready to kill you now. But each time the Balaam, how the donkey saves Balaam. Messiah, of course, is <coughs> carried in Jerusalem on the donkey. Uh, he doesn't, not three times, at least he's carried in Jerusalem. He is beaten, of course, he is killed. And the whole process of his being killed, he saves everybody else. So, it's a, there's a mixture of the donkey saving Balaam, Messiah saving the people. It's a blending of symbols for a messianic reference to give us a picture of what's going on here. Other three events of the donkey, uh, I won't go into the process of how, they're, how, they're, how they get there, but um, in, 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 in another uh, way which I want to point out to, which is also interesting to me, <clears throat> is that Balaam's failure to speak the whole truth to the Belloc's men so he had the ability to speak the truth, the whole truth, right? He spoke half of it. So he spoke, though he had the ability to speak all of it, he spoke half, only partial. So in Balaam's, in other, word, in other words, Balaam has the ability to speak and he lied. The donkey has no ability to speak, but she told the truth. It tells us even an ask tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong, right? A donkey, a donkey tell the difference. It's obvious. I, use it, I did that on purpose. It's obvious that there is a true, a dumb animal can tell a difference what is right and can speak it versus a smart, intelligent person knows what's right and can't. 
And again, it's a picture again to Balaam. A dumb animal knows more and can speak more truth. That comes out of your mouth. Great example for, for Balaam, right? Good picture, obvious. Yeah, an animal can figure it out and you couldn't. So um, the point is that half a truth is also known as a lie. And that brings this point. What about half obedience? is disobedience. <laughs> so if, if, if you're told, go do this and this and those two tasks, go do them. And you go, thank you, I'll go do them. And you do one of them and you sat down and ignored the other one. <laughs> Half pregnant. <laughs> Half pregnant. <laughs> what is that? So, <laughs> so half a lie, half, half truth is a lie. Half obedience is disobedience. So Balaam half obeyed and half disobeyed. Therefore, he disobeyed. Balaam half of the truth, half didn't if he lied. So Balaam is a disobedient liar. That's who he is. And in spite of all that, God still spoke to him and still dealt with him, which is really impressive. Good, good job, God. I, I wouldn't have. I'd have said, go, go away. But that's just me. I'm, I'm less forgiving in that way. Um, and good thing I'm not him because it'd be a lot of problems. Anyhow, so Balaam's refusal to speak the truth wretched from God and, and to the officers and it wait, is symbolically twisted God and, and makes it, God then twists it and makes the donkey speak the truth that I am saving your life. So this angel had to kill you. And the angel then says, hey, donkey saved you. I'll let the one who tried to save you live. I will let you, Howard Balaam, die because you're a liar and disobedient. It makes logical sense, right? So it's, I think it's, it's, it, it's a funny technique because like my, my, my worldview, it's a sense of humor. God's sense of humor. So a dumb animal who can't tell the truth tells the truth. And a smart man who can't tell the truth lies, or should, should tell the truth but can't and lies. It, it's, it's a, it's a, even an animal can do this and you couldn't. <clears throat> Excuse me. So then, um, so, so, so we have the next section, which is, is it, uh, the, the, oh, yeah, and the, 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 the angel's phrase, uh, verse 32 says, uh, for the, the, you have made crooked the path before you against me. Uh, your, your intentions, which are your intentions are against me in this journey. They are crooked against God. So Balaam's reply to the angel is, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't understand. If this is so evil, I'll turn back. Okay, again, an animal knows more than this. If a big man with a massive sword in front of you is ready to slice you in half, and you say, well, if this is so evil, I'll turn back. Now, a normal animal, let's, let, let's put the animal in front of it. Now, let's put the man on the side, put the animal there. And presuming the animal knows what a sword is. All right? not, not all do, but some do. They saw the other animals die from it. They know it's dangerous, right? Or they've been in battles and it's dangerous kind of thing. If a man draws a sword and starts chasing the animal, what's going to happen to the animal? It turns around and runs, right? That's a normal response, right? So when an animal is smart enough to realize an angel with a sword drawn, get away from this thing. Don't stop and ask questions. Don't say, well, let's have a conversation first. No. Balaam was not smart enough to say, I don't need to ask if this was evil in your eyes because obviously it is. I won't say just, I'll just offer to go back because obviously I shouldn't have gone. The normal, sensible thing to do was say, I see what I did. 
No questions asked. Get on my donkey. We're heading home. That's a normal, logical reaction. But again, that's not Balaam's intent. Yes. Usually, when an angel appears to somebody, <laughs> the angel says, do not be afraid. Right, but Balaam didn't, Balaam didn't do that. He's like, oh, an angel, of, the right. angel of the Lord. Right, with a sword drawn too. <laughs> and if somebody hears a donkey speak, you would be like, holy. Yeah, no kidding. This guy's like, ah, you're right. The thought process of Balaam, it tells us at least a little bit when someone is in a lying, disobedient state and greed is their drive, they're blinded to a lot of things. It's obviously blinded. Not just the angel couldn't see the angels, but blinded to the logical sequence of thought that would say, stop, step back, return, turn around, Teshuva, turn around and go back to where you came. That's a logical sequence of what you would think. I ran across a serious problem, not just a brick wall, a sword-wielding brick wall <laughs> that hates me and is mad at me. Logic isn't being applied, though, because Balaam is blinded by something. What's he blinded by? Money. He wants something. He wants yeah, pride. The fact he's so powerful. Even his own oration about how he, how, how he touts how great he is. So he has a, he's a lot of sin within inside of himself that, he's, that has blinded him to logic sequence. So it's interesting to me, but uh, he's still, um, he's still uh, trying to manipulate the situation. And in, he, it, even after this angel experience, verse 38, he still lies to Balak when he gets there. And when he goes to Balak and Balak says, where, where have you been? I asked, so you didn't come. And Balaam's reply just hints truth, just hints a little bit and says, I'm here now. Uh, so yeah, let's just get all the business. He doesn't then disclose, after he had this thing under the angel, doesn't disclose, by the way, I'm not allowed to curse anybody in this instance. I can't curse Israel. He could have just told him. But no, he doesn't. Bring your bulls, bring your offerings. We'll eat first, which we did. Then we'll go back. <laughs> we'll go up the mountain, do seven more, put your offerings up there. And then uh, this whole ruse, he could have told him ahead of time, but he doesn't. So Balaam's still, in the whole process, still trying to manipulate, still trying to get paid for this, still trying to find a way. He, of course, goes off and God says, here's the message to bless. Now, Balaam blessed, of course, three times. Mentioned the whole donkey three, saves Balaam's life three times. Balaam blesses Israel three times. So again, number three, and the purpose of Balak's objective, the purpose of his cursing was to curse in order the Balak could go to war. So the objective is to war against Israel, for, for Moab to war against Israel, and Moab to win. That was the goal. That was, the, that was Balak's idea that he wanted to do. So the objective of the cursing for Balak was to curse him so that he could kill them. So this whole process is a murderous process. Curse Israel so, so, so Balak could kill Israel. That was the goal. So the, what was that? It's Moab. Midian is there too, but Moab is the driving force. So Balak is Moab. Right, yeah, that, that, yeah he, he, has, he has that history already. So the goal is Moab says, Balaam, come curse Israel so I can kill them. That's the goal. Curse in order to kill. But as you know, number three, and you have life and death situation, it's a messianic reference. So Balaam comes three times to bless and doesn't curse. So he converts a, an event that was supposed to be a cursing to death 
but rather turns into a blessing for life. So number three, something that was supposed to be dead, meaning Israel being cursed, is flipped on its head, and Israel is blessed. Now Israel lives. Now, uh, so again, we have the Messianic reference. We have the Balaam finally gets it through his head. He's supposed to bless and cause life instead of the cursing process. We have the principle of, that the Torah instructs us, the curse and blessing does not come with the same mouth. Don't curse and bless. The, same, don't, the words of your mouth shall be cursing and blessings. Blessings, yes, but you cannot curse as well. If you bless something, you can never curse in your mouth again. That's the idea. Never condemn someone. And of course, Balaam, of course, doesn't live by that rule. He gets his money off of cursing because no one pays you to bless them. They pay you to curse your enemies, curse enemies. So that's how he makes his money. Uh, I will note, uh, which I find it interesting, probably because Balaam had, I, I'm suspecting Balaam had no knowledge of this or had no ability to do it is that the seven bulls, the seven rams, so that all the time, the number seven I won't get into today, note there are no goats, because only goats are used for sin. He didn't cover Balak's sin, didn't cover his own sin. None of those service offerings are given, because that's what sin is for, and no goats were offered. I'm guessing Balaam had no knowledge of them, or because he, had, he wasn't a priest, he couldn't. I'm not sure. But he didn't have any goats, so I think that's interesting. So God had no intention or no, 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 uh, 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 no reason to... to accept their offering if they were covered with sins, which clearly their heart was. Um, but I want to point out something which is interesting. In verse 21, oh no, verse 10, I uh, touched 23. Balaam points out which is a prophecy against Israel. Now this is a curse, which he doesn't know it's a curse, but it's a curse. He points out, Balaam says, may my end be like Jacob's. Uh, now, that's what Balaam, he, he wants his end to be like how great, because he sees Jacob's long-term history. You mentioned when we first started out here. The actual details between aren't really covered. Balaam has a, a vague view of certain major events. But he asks, may my end be like Jacob's? Okay, let's think about it. Let's do the equation. If Balaam's end equals Jacob's end, how did Balaam end? An invading army killed him. Israel, they invaded and killed. They killed Balaam. They murdered him. They, they, they murdered him. They killed him off. How did Jacob's end? An invading army came and killed them. They did. Nebuchadnezzar, Assyria, <laughs> they came in, wiped out the entire nation, sucked them away, made an utter wasteland for thousands of years, a complete destruction. So Balaam not knowing that his end, he said, may my end be like Jacob's. We can look at, oh, how was Balaam's end? Look, an invading army came and obliterated everybody, took captives and slaughtered a bunch of people and hauled them all away. Israel did. The, the Israelites did that. That means if Balaam ended that way, then Jacob ends that way. Kind of funny, huh? So he, it was, it was, it was, he didn't perceive it as a curse at the time because he didn't know that information. What you're so, so to speak. So his end was a curse to Jacob, even though it doesn't read that way because he doesn't know that much information about the details. Anyway, so I think it's just comical. It's a, it's a, it's a like an irony type of thing. Anyway, so they both have a similar, and, 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 and by the way, they are, they are killed off for the same reasons too. See, Balaam's there. He, he got there. He was, he, was, he was greedy. He wanted greed. He wanted 
powerful for lust for power and that's who was after he wanted the the prestige the pride that that got from cursing from cursing israel and he was the one who orchestrated and manipulated the the moabite midianite women to make this all whole orgy thing happen and mess israel up so that was his his contribution to, to his destruction well when jacob or israel was captured by nebuchadnezzar and captured by Assyria, what were they captured away for well the my prophets, prophets tell us that for greed and for power, the same reasons that Malam was, was, was captured for, and, and for sexual misconduct. That's what the, 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 the Bible prophets tell us. The prophets tell us that. Hey, sexual misconduct, greed, and money, and power. Because these things you've manipulated your people, God takes over any area and sucks them away and slaughters those who are, who, are, who are resisting and sucks the rest of them out and says, now you're being hauled away, you're laid, we laid waste. And of course, Balaam, greed and power and of course he's the orchestrator of the sexual misconduct in israel so the same reasons balaam's killed the same reason jacob is, is wiped out it's i think and again I think it's, it's fascinating that he himself may not have understood what he was saying and and when he made that comment but it in fact was a curse so he didn't know it uh it's comical uh, and also one last thing i want to point out on this tour portion because i am almost out of time I'm, i may not get to uh all of of, of Micah, I apologize for that. Uh, the, 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 the Balaam goes, okay, he does his little, you know, personal self-grandizing comments. I won't go through all those, not important. One of the comments in verse 17, it points out that, uh, Balaam points out that the, the, the star, the, the one that's going to come out of Jacob, this important individual, uh, he will strike, of course, the children of Seth. Now, we know it's, it strikes Moab and it talks about Amalek. The children of Seth, who are the children of Seth? Think about it. Who was Seth? Who was Seth? Not. Yeah, Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve? Yeah. It was Cain, Abel, and Seth. Who were the descendants of Seth? Every human being there is. Well, Cain killed Abel. Abel had no kids. Cain's the no, the flood would have wiped out would have wiped out Cain's line or most of them. I mean, obviously Noah's and his wife, and I don't know what their wives were, but there may have been some Cain in there too. But even them, only the, only the, the, the males, the three sons of Noah, only the males survived it. And even those males had to be from Seth's line because they're all Noah's descendants. So every human being is a descendant of Seth. So who does this star affect, this individual, this individual human being? Who's about controlling and destroying Every human being, all of us, do we not have to bow to our Messiah? We have to bow to our God. Those who refuse to bow, what happens to them? Those who refuse to submit, what happens to them? They perish. Every knee will bow. So either you submit or you die. So even this, so Balaam is seeing not just the mankind's thing that's going on, but he's seeing something far, far, far in advance too, which is the point where every bows, else that individual perishes. So he's seeing not just their, I mentioned before, when we first started out, he doesn't know all the steps of how, uh, the span of time between them, but he does hit some major highlights. And more that eventually this individual king will make everyone every human being must submit unto his has control of all mankind um of course he goes off to other things too i'm going to, to jethro's family and such 
Uh, the Midnight Women and Moab Women, uh, of course, the, by Balaam's uh, orchestration of instruction, because he points out the reason why God is preventing bless, or, or spreading cursings is because he dwells with them. He finds no iniquity, or some, some of your translations will say, and mischief or, 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 or perversity. Mischief is the same thing. So there's no iniquity or perversity with inside of Jacob. So how do we fix that problem? Bring perversity inside. Now, iniquity is more of a rebelliousness. You can't necessarily make rebelliousness, but you can in the form of perversity. So he brings perversity in, which in this case is female, you know, loose women, and, and God, uh, uh, pagan God uh, attributes. But there's a, there's a strange phenomenon when it comes to rebellion. Anybody, have, have, you, have you ever heard of or met or yourself lived a rebellious part in existence when you were rebellious or someone you know who was rebellious? Have you or someone you know ever known or lived a rebellious life? Yeah. Rebellious. Ever been rebellious before? Ever, ever rebel? Ever rebelled? Has your children ever rebelled? Some have, some haven't. It's all right. You may not have rebelled. That's okay. Let's, pre let's, let's presume that some of you who are filled with rebelliousness have rebelled at some point in time. If you have, you notice there's a phenomenon. The more you rebel, the stronger the rebellion comes. And when someone tries to oppress the rebellion, what happens? You rebel more. <laughs> you become more rebellious. So rebellion, that heart of rebellion, resists the stopping tools. The stopping tools are laws, rules, penalties. But if you're rebellious... You don't care about the laws, the rules, the penalties. Your goal is to rebel. That is the reward that you're after. So when rebellion begins, it's exceptionally difficult to stop. What are the few things to stop it? So you wander right off the top of my head. Shock. Shock stops rebellion very quickly. Somebody who is shocked at what happened, blowing up the Death Star, as you pointed out. <laughs> shocked. What was that? It's a major, huge event, the stunning event, that can stop rebellion because, wait, what, what just happened here? If I am massively rebellious, uh, Portland's a good example, Portland, Portland Oregon, yeah, rebel, burn, 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 destroy, kill, well, kill, I don't think killed me yet, but they may have, I'm not sure, destroy, burn, and then destroy and burn, that doesn't stop easily, does it? Look at the Portland police, they've tried for a long time, it's really hard. Even if you arrest them, it doesn't really necessarily work because it's even more rebellious. Very difficult to do. What would stop it? A massive shock. All right, there's an example. What a core. Earth opened up, swallowed up. What happened? Rebellion's like, ah, they all stopped. <laughs> right? Yeah, for a while, at least for th those who were there at them. Because rebellion is very difficult to stop. It's exceptionally difficult. It requires a shock, some, some major event to say, whoa. This is far farther than I wanted to go. So in this instance for, for, for Moses, what was God's solution for the rebellion? Hang all the leadership. All of them, right in front of me. That should be shocking. That should be shocking. That's be an important, whoa, all of our leaders are now dead and their bodies are swinging on the ropes. Then stop them. What finally did? Phineas. Phineas shocked them finally when he ran through a tent and pierced through 
a leader of Simeon and, a, and a, this female woman, the Midianite cause, I think her name was, and pierced her all the way through, through him, through her with one spear. That was like, whoa. That was a shocking event for them. Now we think that, well, it wasn't that shocking, but it was for them. It needed something that was, that was, it, that was an impulse. And whoa, I'm going to stop this. Rebellion is a very difficult thing to, to quash. It's exceptionally hard. Our normal reaction is, well, put more rules, put more restrictions on it. That doesn't actually work very well. Now, occasionally it might, but generally it doesn't. Something has to implode on the person's world to say, whoa, I've gone too far. So in this instance, that's what it took. In this case, the 24,000 dead people, even that plague wasn't quite enough to stop their behavior, which is quite impressive. 24,000 dead didn't stop it. Phineas's actions finally stopped it. So it wasn't shocking enough to find something with something said, wait, we've gone too far. We, did, we, had, we took something to make this say, we, we can't go any further. And one of the great blessings of that was most likely the last of the previous generation is now dead. There's probably some, some, some moral lessons there too. Uh, so there's a few lessons I want to conclude with because I don't have time to go through Micah today. I apologize. Pamela was hoping to. Uh, in particular, Micah chapter 6, verse 3 through 9 is very critical. Um, somebody get to those today, but I didn't. So I apologize. But um, moral lessons, half-truths are lies. So don't confuse them. Don't say half a truth. Half truth is not a truth. It's a lie. Uh, and half obedience is equal to disobedience. Doing half the, half the effort is actually, you might as well not done anything at all. You disobeyed. A few other moral lessons here. Uh, sacrifices don't necessarily get what you want. <laughs> all the offerings that Balak, Balak, Balak offered didn't get him what he wanted, right? Because he wanted cursing. Did he get him cursing? No, he didn't. Uh, also, you'll note that uh, intentions matter intent what your intention does matters what you do matters but not just what you do but the intention behind it is equally important the whole what's that what's that what's that uh, that statement uh the road to hell is lined with good intentions right pay sorry paved good intentions yeah because the road to hell <laughs> had the intention, but not the action with it. The intention plus action has to work together. They have to work, coincide with each other. You try to do one without the other, you will fail. You are, you are, you are, you are, you are going to, to not succeed. So these are basic lessons to, to understand, uh, to pay attention to. And I'm gonna, I, I was hoping to get through the other. I had two more, but they come from Micah, but uh, I won't get to them. It was the, uh, uh, I'm way past time, dear. <sighs> Yeah, the clock's been stuck at four for like for for three years now, practically. Yeah, where I find. Yeah, I need. To, oh, there is Micah. Isn't there a, a Bridhashah um, verse in? The there is uh, the Bridhashah goes through my, uh, Matthew uh, chapter twenty-one, I believe it is twenty-one. It's the entry of Messiah on the on the on on the donkey. Yeah. So I won't go through the entire Hoftor portion. Ideally, you go through the entire book of Micah because the entire book is the same message of explaining what's going on here. The Hoftor ends on a happy note, but Micah does not end on a happy note. Micah points out, hey, there's destruction here. Pay attention to the destruction. That's what actually matters here. I'm going to go through the whole portion. I'll, ju jump, I'll go jump to Micah 6. 
I will read it straight up. I will end uh, on verse nine. So verse, I will start verse three through nine. So Micah six, verse three through nine is the middle of the Haftor portion. I think all of it, that's okay. So it says Micah six, verse three, it says, oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Testify against me. Stop. He's not the only one who's done that technique. A few other prophets do the same thing. God says, lay before me, I think it's Amos, lay in front of me all the things that you complain about me. Lay them out. Let me see them. No one does. Wonder why. <laughs> Verse four. For I brought you up the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage, and I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, the son of Peor, answered him. From, from the Shittim Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself down before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Has he shown you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you? But do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. The Lord's voice cries to the city, wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod. Who has appointed it? Because he's on as far as the destruction of that rod. So the complaint, I'll point out here for Balak and Balaam, their offerings didn't give them success. It didn't make them closer to God to make it all work out right. So if I screw up my life, so well, here's a few goats, here's a few whatever it is to make it better. We're all good, right, God? doesn't work that way. We already know that. That's obvious. Our New Testament points it out. The, the, all the prophets pointed out that the offerings aren't actually successful when there's no intent and, 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 and spirit behind it. It's just the empty, empty objects. They're, they're, you're wasting God's time and you're spilling blood for the fun of it. Anyway, the whole point, of course, but it continues on, of course, the destruction, I won't read all of it, but that rod, they're saying, okay, God, I, God points out, what do you have against me? List it out. And you, you can't list it out. Because what you have got against God, look at what he has on your behalf. Look what he did for you. To explain what he did against you, look what he did for you first. Look at the blessings he gave you to begin with. The whole song, Count Your Many Blessings. Yeah, to help count those first. Look at those first and then discuss all the, the curses, all the condemnations God put upon you. Ask yourselves, why? Why? Why did the mistakes come? Why did the damaging come? Why did the curses come? Hmm. Yeah, one guess, one answer. You, what you did, what you're doing, those matter. These intents matter, what your actions matter. And of course, it continues on as far as wisdom shall see your name, it's the rod. What is wisdom? Now, wisdom we know is our Torah, our instructions for life, how to live. What's that rod then? The correcting rod, right? When a wise man is corrected, what does he do? Rejoices, right? When the wicked man's corrected, what does he do? Curses it. So when we're corrected, what's our job? Praise the Lord. When, if we were evil and corrected, wicked, we don't, or, or more accurately, if we're corrected, we don't praise God for it. What's wrong? Us. We have a problem inside ourselves. Now, I don't know what it is, and maybe you may or not, that's not my business, boy, but there's something inside of us, something is off, that if we get corrected and we don't praise God for it, there's something is off with inside of us. I don't know what it is, but it's difficult to see that sometimes, but that's what it means. So that rod 
is the appointed rod. It's a question. It goes on to destruction as far as I'll make you sick by striking you, make you desolate because of your sins. Verse 13. Verse 14. You shall eat but I shall be satisfied. Hunger shall be your midst. You shall carry some away but not save them. And what you rescue, I will give over to the sword. So his correcting rod is that tool. And what is Balaam's idea? What was Balak's idea? They wanted to use their own weapons for correcting rod to kill off Israel. And God pointed out, no, that's how it's going to work right. And so, so the correcting rod went back upon Balaam, back upon Midian, back upon Moab a bit, not as much, but partially. The destruction, correcting, correcting rod that God brought back upon them. Even though they offered their offerings, they had their seven bulls, they had their seven rams, didn't matter. Their actions were awful. I'm going to conclude with that. So, uh, oh, and, and in, that con- in that context, and Micah, yeah, you can lose favor with God based on your behavior. <laughs> if your behavior is poor, you can lose favor, or we call it grace, with God. You can lose it. So if you, if you, if you act, because Balaam had favor up to the point to which he died, of the point to which he was going to, planning on cursing, God favored him to some degree. Clearly, he lost it. Yes, his intent was evil. Anyway, we'll conclude with there. Uh, any questions or comments about the Torah portion? I apologize for taking you guys over time. I didn't mean to. I was hoping to 10 minutes earlier. All right, we'll conclude with a prayer then, if that's okay with all of you. Okay. Almighty God, I grateful Father, thank you for our Shabbat day of rest. Thank you for instructing us and helping us along our way. We ask, Father, that you will continue to instruct us, continue to bless us, our efforts and our lives, the, the paths that we are on, wherever that journey is, Father. May you continue to help us to always know you are with us. And that path, as long as our intentions are good, our goal is good, and we are walking with you, it will be blessed according to your will and your idea. We ask, Father, that you will continue to grant us peace, grant our futures peace, that we will live. We glorify Father in Yeshua's name. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Halal dot info.